All right. Well, um, Pastor Scott had a lot, a lot of announcements to give to you. And um, one of the things that he uh, did not mention, and we mentioned in the 8 o'clock service, but we didn't say it here, is that if any of you are wanting to give to the catastrophe that happened in the Philippines, um, that we are doing that as well as a church. So if you have an envelope or next week as you come and you want to just mark it one great hour of sharing, we already have about $2,500 that's going to go and uh, be used for relief over there. And if you would like to join in with that, we would certainly uh, put that to you as well. Some people may say, don't ask the congregation to give, give, give. And that's really what we've done. Thanksgiving, Christmas, now the Philippines. But you know what? You are a congregation who knows Jesus, and out of that overflow of your heart, you have been giving, and we thank you. On top of all that, you've been giving to our general bun, uh, our general bun, that's not what we do around here, our general fund um, <clears throat> that helps our ministry go forward each and every week uh, throughout the year, and that is so important as well. So I just have to say from the bottom of my heart, being your new senior pastor here, thank you, thank you, thank you for how you have advanced the cause of Jesus here in this community and around the world. Uh, Pastor Scott also mentioned about baptisms and what we're going to be doing there next Sunday night. Uh, You know, I can't think of a better symbol of uh, what our Not a Fan study has been going through than that surrender in baptism. And uh, if you read through the book, you would have seen this illustration. I've used it before, but it's an illustration that has happened um, uh, or that took place uh, hundreds of years ago with the Knights of Templar who were uh, warriors or knights that were skilled fighting units with the Crusades in the 12th century. And uh, maybe you've heard this illustration before, but it demonstrates something really interesting about baptism. In the 12th century, when they were baptized, these knights who would go out on the Crusades, they were baptized in their fighting units, except they would do one thing that was very particular. When they would go underneath the water, because they practiced the baptism by immersion, they would go down underneath holding their sword out of the water. The symbolism in that was this. Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll follow and do what you want me to do. But not on the battlefield. Not with this sword. This sword is mine to do what I want to do with. So they would go underneath the water and they would hold it up as the rest of their body went under And then they came back up. And I got to thinking about that. How much might that be like us? I mean, when you are going underneath the water, maybe some of you have already been baptized, some of you are still needing to be baptized, and you will be soon. But symbolically, when you go underneath the water and you die to yourself, what maybe do you hold up? Do you go underneath the water and hold up maybe your wallet, right? Or your purse. Maybe you go into water and you're holding up your smartphone or your laptop, Maybe you hold up the remote control because you like to be in control, right? Right? Or maybe you hold up your latte. God, don't let me give this up, right? Right? Or maybe, maybe it's a cheeseburger. I, I don't know what, what you would hold. You know, you think about that, how God wants you to treat your body and how God wants you to eat, but maybe some of us don't want to give that up as well. We want to eat the way that we want to eat. I think about um, one of the times that I baptized somebody, and I've maybe shared this before as well, but um, I, I didn't realize that yet he was wearing a hairpiece. I was trying to baptize him up in the, up in the baptistry. Yeah, so uh, he hadn't told me that he was wearing that, and so he was not wanting to go all the way under. And so he was fighting while I was fighting, and I'm pushing down, he's pushing up. <laughs> Finally, I won, right? And then the hairpiece just kind of floated away in the water. 
But, but you think about that. Maybe there's a little sense of pride. Maybe a sense of vanity and, 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 and not wanting to share that. Or, or, but, but you know, the symbolism there was just, was just ironic because I was trying to get him underneath the water, but he was not wanting to go all the way down. And I wonder, for all of us, what those areas are in our lives where we're not quite ready to surrender it. And so here's the question as we're kind of coming to the end of this Not a Fan series. Some of you who are in your community groups, you'll end this next week. Um, Then we'll have one more message uh, next Sunday, and then next Sunday night we'll kind of have a celebration time. Here's the question. Have you given it all up? Have you surrendered it, as we just sang about this? Have you surrendered? Have you allowed it to all be baptized underneath the Lordship of Jesus? Have you, as Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, denied yourself, if you're going to come follow him, denied yourself, take up your cross. How often do you take up your cross? Daily to follow him. Or as Paul so succinctly says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die every day. I die every day. You know, if you're going to get baptized, if, if Jesus asked us to be baptized every week, we should be baptized every week. If he asked us to be baptized every day, we should be baptized every day. Really, that's the symbolism there. I die every day. I go down underneath the water. I come back up. That's the symbolism of baptism. If you have not done that, we really encourage you. Go to the class Pastor Mike has. Next week would be a prime time to be baptized. But Jesus asks us to take that step. Not as much outwardly. The baptism is really an outward demonstration of the inward faith. He does ask us to do that. But it's really more about the inward faith that's taking place here. So what does dying daily mean to you? What does that look like to you, personally? And let me ask it a little different way. If you have died to yourself and you say, I'm not a fan, I am a follower of Jesus, then your life should look different, shouldn't it? It, it, you, you should live differently. You should, you should do things differently. So there's the question. How does your life look different because you are a follower of Jesus? There's a, a haunting passage in Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't, we certainly encourage you to Get a Bible, or underneath some of the pews here, I know downstairs, I'm not sure about upstairs, there are Bibles that you can grab onto. We have some at the Next Step Center as well. You can take that and use that if you like, or order one, get it at Costco, wherever it may be, get it into your hands. But there's a set of passages that really are um, very unsettling. In fact, uh, one of these makes you uh, very, very uncomfortable. Makes you, it makes you think a lot, maybe even makes you sweat a little bit here today. But let me just kind of lead up to it. Matthew chapter 7, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is sharing a lot of words here. And let me kind of set up this up by going to Matthew 7, verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, I don't know if this makes you a little uncomfortable, but I would have been a little more comfortable if verse 13 had said, some are going down that path. But it doesn't say some, does it? It says how many? Many are going down that path. 
And then you look at the next verse there in verse 14. Again, I would have been a little bit more comfortable if it would have said, a lot are heading down the narrow path into the path of life. But what does it say? How many are going down it? Few. Go on to verse 15 through 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear bad or good fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits, by what they do. Now, those aren't the haunting passages. The haunting passage is the next one. Let me read it. Verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Now, that probably doesn't make the top ten list of the fun things that Jesus has said to us in Scripture, right? I mean, you're not going to send a Christmas card and quote Matthew 7, 21 through 23 on that, right? Grandma did not embroider that one on a pillow and put it on her couch, right? That's not taking the place. Because there are some serious words that Jesus said right here going on. In fact, there is now a connection. There is definitely a connection for those who get into heaven with what is said and what is done, what is professed and what is then acted upon. Because what does it say? Who enters? Those who do the will of the Father are the ones who are able to enter. And he gives some examples here. It's not about those bigger things like prophesying in his name or like casting out demons in his name or doing mighty works in his name. It's about those who are doing the will of the Father. I look at some of those things that they bring up by comparison, prophesying, casting out demons, mighty works in his name. Those don't cut it. It's about doing the will of the Father. And then again in verse 22, there's that quantifying term. There's a term of how many are going to get in this. Many will say, you see that what it says right there in verse 22? It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things? Doesn't say just a few. Doesn't say just some. It says many are going to be saying this. And the point of the passage then ends in verse 23, where it says in verse 23, then I will declare to them, I never, what's the word there? I never what? knew you. I'm so glad we sang that song that Pastor Stephen had to sing. I surrender. I surrender. I want to know you more. Those are the words. I want to know you. Here's the this passage right here. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's really not about what you do, but it's about who you knew or if you knew 
that being Jesus. And so there's this circular kind of theology that takes place here. When we know Jesus, our actions show that we know Jesus. Okay, let me say that again. When we know him, then our actions show that we know. The fruit comes from that, but it begins with knowing him. It begins with, with, okay, so we've been talking about, okay, serve in Thanksgiving, serve with Karen Christmas tree, give to the Philippines. We've been talking about all these actions, actions are things that we can do. The reason you guys are so generous, or the majority of you are so generous, the way you give around here is because you know Jesus. And those actions then are played out because you know him. If we're just coming at you saying, hey, buy this gift and do this and serve in this way and give in this way, and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the purpose behind it, you know the heart that he wants for you, then it just becomes a drain on your lives. It becomes a drain on your pocketbook. But when you come at it and say, okay, Jesus, if this is what you want me to do, that's why I step up and do it. That's, that's what it's about. Our actions are a response to God's grace. Right? Our actions are response. It says in Scripture that we love Him because He first loved us. So our actions become a response to God's grace. It's knowing Him. And when we know Him, then we show that by the fruit that is born. We show that by what we do. But they do go together. So, some of you are saying, well, I'm not so sure that I have made that decision. I'm not so sure that I'm following Jesus. Let me do this. Let me ask you three questions. They're on your outline, and we're just going to go over these, and I think, for lack of a better way of saying it, these will show if you know. All right? As you answer these questions, these will show if you know. Number one is this. Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Say it again. Does your life reflect what you say you believe? In verse 21, It says, not everyone who says, but only he who does. So Jesus brings this kind of distinction here and this contrast between what is said and what someone does, which is very important because I think we live at a time in our society where it's very easy to kind of categorize things. It's very easy to kind of say, well, this is my God box or this is my Sunday morning box. That's where I kind of do that and then not live that way for the rest of our lives. How is your life categorized? Now, I know that we all have sin in our lives. We all do. I being the chief of us. But how is your life most often viewed? How, how, how do you live and how do people know you? And how do you, you know, say, God, you, 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 I do surrender to you. Do we trip up every now and then? Absolutely. But God, my whole life, is it really sold out to you? Is it categorized as, yes, I'm a follower and I do that most of the time? And I pray that that most of the time becomes more of the time because more of the time because more of the time more of the time. There are some people who just kind of believe that, you know, I can just kind of have a few beliefs and they can be very sincere, very sincere. If I'm sincere about this, then I'll be okay. And that would be good enough. And that's just not what this passage is telling me. Your, your, your beliefs need to reflect with your life actions. Let me give you some example, examples of this. Um, perhaps as Americans, we have taken our right to vote a little too much for granted. I don't know how many of you voted in the last election, but, but think about that. There are people dying across this world for the right to vote. And as an American, if you say, I believe in my country, I love my country, I trust my country, I love to vote, and then we don't vote, are your actions lining up with what you believe and what you say? 
Now I realize, you know what, it wasn't the presidential one, and you know what, Congress wasn't in, and maybe we weren't voting on those kind of things. I know, I was tempted not to vote as well. But I look at that and say, no matter what they put before us, we need to be people who, who are faithful citizens. And we need to be people who put out there a voting our conscience and voting the way that Jesus would want us to vote and help our society. That is scriptural. Let me give you another one. As Americans, I would guess that most of us would say health is important to us. Right? A healthy lifestyle or eating healthy is very important to us. However, do we show that? I mean, I, just last night, I was at a birthday gathering. I ordered ice cream. I didn't order, only order ice cream. I ordered ice cream. I asked the waitress, bring it with chocolate sauce on top of it, right? Amen, someone said in the 8 o'clock service, because that's good, right? Uh, now, do I always eat like that? No, thankfully I don't. But you think about the way that some of us eat, and we don't care about our bodies. I've been over to Santa Cruz on the boardwalk. You go down that boardwalk, do you know some of the food that is on that boardwalk? It is frightening. They have taken Twinkies, okay? Twinkies, which has no nutritional value whatsoever, and made it even worse by deep frying it. How can you take something that has no nutritional value and make it even worse? They perfected that. In fact, in the book, it talks about um, a state where at a state fair, let me just read it. The most popular food at a state fair is a bacon cheeseburger with a bun made out of two Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) Putting that together. And you're charged extra if you would like some bacon dipped in chocolate on that burger. Which I would say, if you're going to do that, just go ahead and go for the chocolate, right? That, that just makes it even better. You've got to go that, all that way. And you think about what... Now, we say, well, health, it, it's healthy. Or, or we say that I believe in my health. I believe in eating right. But do we reflect? Do we do it? Let me get more personal with some of you who may be young businessmen, businesswomen. You might say, I'm a family man. I'm a family woman. And yet, maybe you're... Um, stepping up the ladder. Maybe you're taking promotions. Maybe you're doing things that take away from your family and the time you spend with your family. If you say, I love family, I value my family, but then you hardly spend time with them because you're so busy working, you say, well, I'm working for them. Well, think about it, folks. The time spent is really more important than what you provide for them. You got to say, does what I believe reflected in my life? Now, hear me on this. As this relates to the spiritual lessons I'm bringing to you, I fully believe we are saved by God's grace when we believe in Jesus Christ and we put our faith in him. But biblical belief is more than just something we confess with our mouths. It's something we confess with our lives. Let me say that one more time. Biblical belief is more than just something we confess with our mouths. It is something we confess with our lives. It's not just about what we say, but it's about what we do. So a fan may say, Lord, Lord, but a fan doesn't live the Lord, Lord out. You say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. And scripturally, Jesus would look at us. Remember the passage? I think it's out of Matthew chapter 23, where he says, well, then have you fed the hungry? Have you clothed the naked? Have you visited those in prison? That is why we have people who have stepped up at this church. 
Mark and Valerie Turner who do the Caring Christmas Tree, and Bob and Anna Morgan and Stephen Ramilia Handel who do the, do the Thanksgiving outreach. They have stepped up and said, that's why we want to clothe people. That's why we want to feed people. That's why we want to bless them with gifts. We've been blessed. We've been blessed. We want to give back to them. I mean, it's just as though we were doing it to Jesus. That's why all of you take so many of those gifts. That's why Pastor Scott has to stand up here and say, you better do it today because they might not be there next week because you people are looking at that and you're saying, that's how we want to make a difference. We want to bless people. We want our actions to spill out because we know Jesus. We know we've been blessed. We want to give to others. I've been blessed within my community group as I've been asking them as we've been going through. Some of your leaders have been asking you, how do you live differently? What do you do differently because you believe in Jesus? Because your life is given to him. And just to hear my group share some things like, you know what, I don't gossip at work. It's tempting. Maybe before I would join in with them, but when, I, when they start to go there, I just walk away. Others who would say, you know, I used to get emails from people, and some of them used to be a little racy, a little vulgar. Now I just delete them, or I'll even send back and say, hey, no thanks, please don't send me these any longer. Those are just little steps that people are beginning to take to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want that reflected in my actions. So I hope we're all coming to that place. I hope we all know and understand that when we know Jesus, he expects us to live a little differently. When we read this word, we're supposed to read it, have it reflect upon our lives, and then look at our lives like a mirror and say, how do I look? Do I need to change a few things? Let me give you an illustration of this. It's actually in the Not a Fan book. Um, my family, I know we've been over on a number of mission trips. We went to Africa a number of years ago. We spent about two weeks there, and we had someone kind of keeping charge of the house and watching. We didn't have a couple come in, but let's just say we had a young couple come into our house and live there while we were on a mission trip. And let's say before we go on that mission trip, we invite the young couple over, and we have a little notebook for them. It's got about 10 or 12 pages about all the things that we would like them to take care of and watch over while we're gone. And so in this notebook, there um, are instructions on the house um, and the pets in the house and what to do about the plants and where to find the cat food and what to do about the mail, where to find the mail, where to bring it, uh, trash day, when trash day is, how to get that out there so that it doesn't overflow, the toilets, um, you know, if they're, if they're running too much and, you know, uh, overflow, where to turn off valves and all that kind of stuff. Let's say we, we go over that. It's all in the notebook. And let's say two weeks later, we come back from our mission trip. And we walk into our house, and as we look at our house, we see that the trash can is filled up. It was never taken out once. In fact, the toilet has been running ever since we've been gone. It's flooded the whole house. Let's say we come in, and um, the, uh, the, the plants have all died. The mail is piling up at the mailbox. The cat, the cat, for crying out loud, has died, and now there's a gravesite in the backyard. <laughs> when we come into that house, what are we going to say to our house guests? If we walk in that house and they look at us and they say, you know what, Pastor Brad, those notes that you gave us, those were really, really good. In fact, we have read those notes every night before we go to bed. We read those notes. In fact, we have memorized some of those notes as well. We have taken a highlighter and we have highlighted parts of those notes. We have underlined parts of those notes. We actually had a small group come over. We opened up all the notes. We read through them. We talked about them all. We talked about how good they were. We, we, we've been doing it, Pastor Brad. We've been going over all of this. In fact, every night before we go to bed, we even read them together. What am I going to say if they say that? I'm going to say, you wicked, evil, lazy servant, right? I never knew you. It's a 
little bit about what Jesus is saying here. How often do we open up this word and read it and highlight it, memorize it, talk about it, get into small groups where we champion it, and then we walk home and we don't do it. And the words here that I want to get across and have you see is that what you believe should be reflected in how you live. Now, I know I'm not trying to guilt you into this, folks. I'm just trying to say that that's what Jesus is getting at. And I don't want you to stand before him and be one of those ones that he said, I never knew you. Because it's about knowing him first. And when you know him, then it's easier to follow him with what he says. Second question I have for you is this. Do you think you're on the right road because of what you've done? Now, this is a little different than the one I just gave you before. The one before we talked about how your life needs to reflect what you believe. There are also people who would say, well, I'm on the right road. I'm going the right way because of the things that I've done. That is just as dangerous. Just as dangerous as assuming what we say alone puts us on the right road and not just as with what we do alone, or feeling like whatever I do and that alone is good enough. In fact, it's coming out of verse 22 where it says, hey, Jesus, we prophesied, we drove out demons, we performed miracles. The confidence is in their righteous acts, the things that they said they have done. I, I preached a message a number of years ago when I said this. The title of it was Good Enough Isn't. And that may be something that we just need to remember. Good enough isn't. You say you're good enough, it isn't. Because there's no way we can be good enough for God. That's why God's grace needs to be upon us. That's all the reason that we get into heaven. The only reason that God accepts us is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Us saying, well, my good works got me in there is not a way that we get to heaven. The good works are the outcome of knowing Jesus. The good works are a result of the grace of knowing Jesus. The good works are a reflection, a reaction to the grace that he has given to us. It's how they know us. That's how they know our fruit. But it begins by knowing him. So it's not about what we do. No matter how much good we do, it cannot accomplish for the kingdom. That's not what bases us and makes us a true follower. What makes us a true follower is what I ask on the last question that's before you, and that's this. Do I know Jesus and does he know me? That's what makes you a true follower of Jesus. Do I know Jesus? Does he know me? That's the dividing line that Jesus kind of identifies here. Verse 23. Let me read it again. And then I will declare to them, I never, what's the word there again? I never what? There it is. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it comes down to that personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you know him and you are known by him and he knows you. Which is interesting because as Americans, I think we like to put more the measurable, tangible things. We like to categorize things more by what we say and by what we do. But ultimately it comes from, do we know him? Do we know him? Do we love him? know that he loves us. It comes out of the intimate relationship we have with him. Again, don't be paranoid here. I very much believe we are saved by grace, as it says out of Ephesians 2.8. 
I very much believe, as it says out of Romans 8, that we are not going to be plucked out of his hand when we are coming to know him and we love him, we give our lives over to him, we pray for him to be our Lord and Savior. We are in God's care. But I also believe what this passage says here, that the Bible clearly teaches that there are some who will say, well, I've been saved because of what I do. I've been saved. God has to look at them in the last days and say, I didn't know you. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. In fact, let me ask it another way because we're coming at this with a lot of different questions. And and whichever question makes the most sense to you, latch on to that. Here's one other question. When Jesus is all you have, is Jesus all you want? When he is all that you have in life, are you good enough? Are you good enough to say, Jesus, if it's just me and you, if my family is taken from me, if my job is taken from me, if my finances are taken from me, is that good enough? See, that's the question that was asked of some disciples and some followers. Have your Bibles, flip over to the book of John. And let me kind of end by just going over this last passage here in John chapter 6. Some of you will remember I preached this passage about four or five weeks ago where Jesus is going around and performing miracles and the people are kind of following him and then he's starting to feed him and they start to see him as a meal ticket and so they follow him more and they want this bread and Jesus feeds them bread and they begin to follow him more and more and then Jesus turns it and says, don't be chasing after the bread, chase after me because I'm the bread of life. Okay, we discussed this a few weeks ago. Look at what then he just starts, what he starts to say when he turns the hard teachings on them. Verse, um, uh, John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, interesting, it would say that about the disciples, some disciples. Obviously, these were more than the 12 disciples because of what it says next, and that is in verse 67 when it says, So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? Are you sure you want to be following me? I mean, look at all the ones who said that they were followers and yet dropped out. Are you sure you can be the followers? Are you sure you want to stay beside me? Let me kind of drill down a little bit on this and just kind of play what if. I'm not sure, you know, the tone of voice that Jesus said this in. I don't know if it was frustration. I don't know if it was anger. I happen to believe that there was a tone of disappointment and sadness in Jesus' voice as he said these words to his disciples. Because he now sees that he was just a meal ticket for all these people. That they can't live up to the expectations that he has for them. That they can't, they, they didn't rise to the occasion. It would be a little bit like if you were in your dating years, and some of you are in your dating years, and some of you are past your dating years, but remember back to those dating years, it would be a little bit like if you started dating someone, you took them to the movies, and it was all fun time, you paid for them, you paid for the popcorn, you paid for the drinks, you paid for the snacks, you paid for the uh, ticket into the movies, and then you asked them out a second time, they said, yes, let's go, you take them to a nice restaurant, they really enjoyed that as well, anything on the restaurant menu they could have, afterwards you went and did something fun, maybe you went to an amusement park, you had fun, stuff like that, you're starting to feel some sort of connection here. So you decide to do something really special with them. You take them out. Instead of doing all these things, you go to a park and you talk and you walk along the park and you sit on the park bench and you spill your guts out to them. You say, I feel there's a future with us. You think we can do that. You think there's something there. And the person looks back at you and says, is this the date? 
is this like, like is this it? Are, are we just going to talk? Because um, I was having a good time doing all those other things. And if this is all we're going to do today, um, what's next? There's a little bit of that going on here in the passage, isn't there? Where the people are saying, what's next, Jesus? Show us what's next. Show us what's next. And Jesus is coming to them and saying, no, it's about me. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, you know, feed you. I'm here to have you feed on me. And I think the heart of Jesus had to break here because the people were having their own ideas about who he was. And granted, you know, I cast maybe my, my projections, my human projections. He was the Son of God, but he was human as well. And there could have been that little tone of disappointment and sadness when he looked at his disciples and said, are you sure you want to follow? Are you sure you're there? Are you up to this challenge? And then look what happens. Peter answers. And I don't know if there was a delay. I don't know if there was like an awkward moment or the crickets were chirping type of thing here. But look at verse 68 after Jesus asked, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where where are we going to go? I mean, what he's saying here is, yeah, maybe maybe we were thinking about it. Maybe it occurred that this would be a good time. You know, all the others have kind of dropping away, and now you've upped the ante here. Jesus, I realized, though, that if I walk away from here, that means I'm going to walk towards something or someone else. And who's that going to be? Who am I going to follow? In fact, what he's getting at here is he's saying, you know what, to opt to follow someone else, means that, Jesus, if I'm going to back away from you, I'm going to back into something else. And if I back into someone else, is that person going to be any greater than you? Jesus, you are above it all. Look what he says in verse 68, the second part. He says, you have the words of eternal life. And you're the only one who offers the bigger things of life. You are the one who offers the eternal life. In verse 69, he goes on to say it like this. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You get the word there? Look at the word. We have believed and have come to what? Come to? We've come to know. We've come to know. We've come to believe. We've come to know and be in a relationship with you. It all starts from knowing Jesus. In fact, if you have your bulletin, can you pull out your bulletin real quick? We used to have the banners up here in the sanctuary, but I just want to show you the banners or the um, no grow, serve, share kind of colors at the top. On the inside cover, you'll see at the top of the right-hand page, that's the track we're on here at First Baptist. It's about knowing Him. And when we know Him, we grow in Him. And when we grow in Him, then we begin to serve Him. And when we serve Him, then we begin to share Him. Now, you can do those somewhat out of order, but I don't believe that you can do all those things without knowing Him first. Well, you can still serve in some ways, but it really begins by knowing. It begins by knowing Him. And then you make Him known. I was... uh, overhearing a conversation the other day. I, I've been to restaurants, and at the beginning of our Not A Fan series, I actually went into a restaurant, and I saw three people who had the Not A Fan books. 
And so I was just making conversation with a couple of them. I didn't know went to our church, and we kind of conversed about it, and people have been reading it. And over the last six, eight months, or excuse me, six or eight weeks, people have been reading the books and enjoying the books. But I overheard a conversation um, that uh, someone said, uh, hey, how you been enjoying the Not a Fan study? The person was kind of trying to be upbeat and thinking that they'd give a good response. And the words I heard come from the other person were, I don't like it. And as I listened a little bit more, the person said, really, why not? And the person said, uh, because it's messing with my life. <laughs> yeah, amen is right. That's exactly what I thought. I thought, good. That's what we need. We need more of God messing with our lives. We don't need to be sitting here being comfortable. We're, we're, there are too many people going to hell when we're sitting here being comfortable. There are too many people who are going hungry when we're sitting here being comfortable. There are too many people who are not clothed, who are in prisons. There are too many people. Well, I, I met a group from Alabama today. There was about 10 to 12 people who came that are visiting out here from Alabama who are going around sharing God's love. It's with an organization I'd never heard of them before, but they're feeding, they're helping the homeless, they went to Colorado, help with the floods, they're hoping to do some things in the Philippines, and so we just had a chance to share. They come through Stockton, they come through Sacramento, and now they're coming through Stockton. I look at that and I say, here's a bunch of young people who are making a difference because they know Jesus and they want to make him known with others. And I have a hunch that there are so many of you who are in that same boat. You know Jesus. I've seen it in your fruit. I've seen it in your outpouring. I've seen it in your love. But I also have a hunch that there are some of you who don't know him yet. I just want to put that before you. You can't grow. You can't serve. You can't share without knowing him, knowing him first. And so why don't we just pause for a moment and let's make sure we are all on that same page.